fair warning. This is going to be weirder than usual. Have you got any good suggestions for how we can make this a smooth intro? A smooth intro? It's, it's not really our modus operandi, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. I thought we could up our game for one episode. I think we should. I think we should. So, I'm not Teo, I'm Ben. And I'm not Ben, I'm Teo. And we are Pixel Vision. I mean, we don't have to be super slick, do we? We've never been super slick in our lives. <laughs> This week on Pixel Vision, we're going to be talking about control. We are indeed. Did you feel controlled while you were playing this game, Ben? Um, I certainly felt in control, I would say. That we should definitely end the control-laden pun <laughs> section as swiftly as possible. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that wasn't very good. <laughs> that is actually what I meant to ask, though, was did you feel in control? Because I certainly did for the entire game. Yeah, bloody loved it kind of amazing that it's been out for a year already and we've only just got around to playing it even though it's been well i can't speak for you but it's been on my radar for so long and i feel like for most people it's a similar situation because apparently sales were really poor when it kicked off interesting or at least it didn't make it onto like top sales charts and stuff like that i don't know why guessing to do with marketing because it's quite a blockbuster game isn't it so do you think that's something to do with it looking quite a blockbuster game it's a massive blockbuster game <laughs> it is a massive blockbuster game but it's quite strange because it's from remedy who did max Payne and quantum break and alan wake and i always think of those guys as being like a massive triple a sort of producing company mm. whatever they call them but in truth I, I think they're referred to as an indie developer and I'm not sure they've got the same sort of budget as a lot of other places. That's definitely true. I think indie developer, I mean, basically anyone that isn't Ubisoft, Blizzard or Rockstar are an indie developer these days. But I'd say calling them an indie developer is pushing it. Like They're definitely like a good medium-sized company, right? They'll be in the hundreds of employees rather than the tens. Yeah, I would certainly expect, yeah. It'd be impossible for them not to be to produce a game like that, I'd say. Yeah. Although they're not exactly massively prolific because... Since Quantum Break, which was got to be a good few years ago, this was their first game. And before that, I think they were, I don't know, I'm guessing it was Alan Wake. And Alan Wake was like 2010. Mm. So I don't know. They're, they're definitely not churning them out one a year kind of thing like other studios do. Have you played any of their previous games? Apart from Max Payne, obviously. Yeah, so I played... Oh, man. Don't get me started on Max Payne. <laughs> I think I've played almost all of them except for Quantum Break, which I feel like I definitely should play because it looks incredible. But Alan Wake, I tried to play twice, but at the time I was playing it, I wasn't really into my survival horror. And of all of their games, that's the sort of closest to just straight up sort of scares, I guess. And I was a bit uncomfortable playing it, so I failed twice. Mm. But Max Payne, I played that one, about that whole trilogy so many times. I can still whistle the tune that the baddies... Uh, I was going to say sing, but they don't sing it, they whistle it. It goes like this. <laughs> yeah, I remember that now that you're whistling to it, to it as well. And I, I remember you loving it at the time. Um, I, might, I think we might have even played it together a few times, like both sitting and watching the same screen. Yeah, I, I think that game kind of pushed, at the time anyway, with bullet time and stuff. I guess it was post-Matrix, I think. Um, 2001-ish, I guess, 2001, 2000, 
two, three, mm. something like that. So it's post-Matrix bullet time, but even so, bullet time in games, I think, was pretty nascent, and they did it incredibly. It was time to take back control from whoever was out to get me. We can probably segue back into control with that, because this game surely is breaking some boundaries with what it does. In, in what way? Oh, man. Interesting. Okay, let's not straight jump into the breaking boundaries then. Let's just, uh, let's, what's, what's your reaction? Because ge- genuinely this time, sometimes we, we try not to speak about games, but um, we kind of slip up or we have a few messages. But this time I just sent Teo a message saying, have you finished? And he said, yes. And that was it. <laughs> so I genuinely have no clue what you thought of this game. So give us your your download straight off the bat uh all right the, the teo monologue so no, no, no. before the teo monologue i want to hear the teo authentic reaction you're, you're my final thoughts i didn't fall in love with it i i tried my hardest as i was playing to appraise it as positively as i could because that's generally how i play games but for the most part i would say it left me feeling quite cold for a number of reasons mm. i thought it lacked difficulty at, in a kind of it lacked any sharpness or or edge for me like i never felt for for a game that wants to be a horror or at least a thriller i never i never felt even slightly scared or um maybe scared's not even the right word like off balance i never felt off balance the whole time like i yeah i felt in charge of what was going on mm. that's one thing uh Another thing was that I never warmed to any of the characters, especially the lead character. Really didn't warm to the lead character at all. I know I shut you out sometimes. I didn't understand her and her motivations, really. Like, we'll get into it more anyway. But that's I don't that... think anybody understands her motivations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, most of this game left me failing to understand a lot of motivations. Why did you bring me here? We will get into that because when with when I was thinking about this game, that those are the things that interested me. Like what I, I I wondered, like what it wanted me to think of all this place and all these people, um, and that was really interesting. So that was cool. The actual playing of the game, yeah, take it or leave it. Anyway, what kind of game is it? We've rambled on for a while now before giving anyone even a bit of insight into what it was like. So it is a third-person action game, which uh, has. I guess an emphasis on well shooting over the shoulder shooting um you have one different gun which can change into five different guns i think and each one is like your archetypal type of gun so uh you've got your shotgun your kind of magnum type one sniper although it's not really in the in the mold of a normal sniper uh a kind of grenade launcher anyway you'll use your stuff but it's all one weapon it's kind of like a rail gun kind of more like a rail gun yeah um, Sorry, I've scuppered your manner. That's all right, all right. <laughs> um, so yeah, you've got your your gun archetypes all in one weapon, and it's got rechargeable ammo and stuff. So a lot of the the baggage that usually comes along with that is stripped down for like maximum fun, which I thought kind of worked. And then you also have your Jedi like superpowers, so you can mind control people, you can uh, lift things up like you like you're using the Force, and throw objects at enemies. All of which is really really fun. And the crux of the story is that you start in a government building, which are in charge of investigating paranormal activity. And you proceed to make your way through that building, uncovering the mysteries of what's gone wrong there. Yeah, the Federal Bureau of Control, isn't it? Yeah, FBC. Uh, Hence the title. 
Let's start with the misunderstanding then, because th- that does throw you off right at the beginning. Uh, you, you sort of start in the game as the lead character, Jesse, who is this kind of broody, quiet, doesn't say much, seems a bit troubled, almost sort of emo teen character. Mm. Maybe, maybe that's a bit harsh. She uh, experienced a paranormal event when she was younger and believes completely in what she saw and therefore in, a, in the classic way has been mistrusted her whole life because yeah. everyone thinks she's mad. Yeah. Although you don't necessarily know all the details of that kind of thing straight away. In fact, most of the game is a game like, it's kind of a discovery game mm. because you're piecing together what happened. It kind of throws fragments at you. And you kind of piece together story from case files and recordings. And... Yeah, it's it's true. I didn't I didn't really do it justice. It it really does double down on that investigating uh, this this place and what's happened. It's it's history and what's happened in the past through countless like logs and files, um, video logs, audio logs, written logs, um, all different types you find throughout the building. Yeah. But once Jessie actually gets to the Bureau, because the game starts there, but it never really explains how she got there beyond she heard some sort of mysterious call. She keeps speaking uh, in the second person, which sounds like it's to you as the gamer. So she's like, are you still with me? And this kind of stuff. Yeah. Which throws you off a bit, but you do find out that she's referring to some other entity, some sci-fi entity called uh, Polaris, I think. That's it, yeah. And she finds a gun when she arrives and it like bonds to her. And then she, as a result of that bond, becomes the director mm. <laughs> of the whole bureau. Mm. And so then, and everyone somehow automatically knows that she's the director. Yeah. Maybe just because she's got the gun. Um, so as soon as you start meeting people in the bureau, they start referring to you as the director. But she doesn't really know what that entails, what she's doing, etc. Mm. One of the quite cool things about the, the Federal Bureau, bureau of Control is that ostensibly it's there to kind of protect humanity and control these paranormal things. But actually, it's just as much influenced itself by those paranormal things in terms of how it's shaped and how it's run. And yeah, one of those things is that there is this altered or no object of power, sorry, which is which is the gun that you pick up and it it almost chooses the next director. So it's kind of like, mm, are you are you the ones taking charge here or are you being led by like the occult almost objects of power? can cause or be results of AWE's altered world events, intrusions upon the perceived reality. Now, the service weapon is, of course, a prime example of an OOP, a very powerful one, ingrained in the Bureau's DNA, a key component in our prime candidate program. Come out of that Russian roulette a winner and you, (laughs) you're it. And the whole thing pans out to be like that because the Bureau itself is inside or actually i'm not sure if it's inside or if the oldest house is inside the bureau i'm not sure which way around Mm. it is but basically there's this sort of multi-dimensional zone i guess called the oldest house which is a really cool concept i think Mm -hmm. it's a bit like the sort of overlook hotel um from the shining sort of thing or also like that motel in identity Mm. basically a creepy little place weird portal loads of dimensions loads of different uh planes as the game calls them yeah and it kind of it's oh do you know what actually it reminds me of is um you know the key masters corridor in the matrix yeah yeah where like you walk along the corridor and a different door unlocks into like different places it's it's kind of like that this level is filled with doors these doors lead to many places, hidden places. What did you think of the oldest house concept? Yeah, I thought it was really cool. You're, you're right. Um, 
it's the bureau that have made the oldest house which already existed their headquarters when they found it and they called that a place of power so you've got the places of power which are like strange places there's another one which is like a motel room in um mexico um which you visit quite often so yeah you've got the places of power the objects of power which are like the most powerful objects which you gain throughout the game and give you different abilities and then you just have kind of regular old objects which um which are a bit weird but don't really do all that much like a fridge that people can't stop staring at Mm. or letters that constantly move like a stack of letters that are flying around i'm trying to think of what some of the other um there are so many and now my mind's gone blank which is a shame well there are so many but you see them kind of locked up like the the place where they keep them all um it's called the panopticon and they have all different little cells for all the altered objects and so it's quite cool you like go through them and like you can look through the glass and there's like a, a big swan or like a baseball bat and uh a helmet and stuff and you know that like these are altered items but in those cases you don't actually get to see them do anything yeah i love the panopticon by the way and i love that they put it into a game because i think it was like some jeremy bentham this is gonna show up what i don't know now it's jeremy bentham oh you know yeah (laughs) nice (laughs) but it was foucault that popularized his idea of the panopticon and kind of made it famous in academic circles to my knowledge Uh, okay cool cool yeah Because I've always loved that because it feels a lot like just surveillance society. Yeah, well, explain what it is because not everyone will know know what it is. Uh, So the idea is that um, it's a sort of cylindrical room where in the centre is a building or a room, which is like the sort of eye of the panopticon. And and all of the cells, I think it was originally conceived for prisoners, wasn't it? I think so. Um, So you could have one guard or a few guards in that central room and in a cylinder around the room were all of the cells for prisoners to be in. And so a guard in the middle could look in theory into every single room at any point, but the guards would never know when they were being watched and when they weren't being watched, Mm. which in the context of control is a bit strange because they're not prisoners in the rooms, are they? They're, as you say, they're items of power. They're objects, yeah. And as you're saying all of that, that that is quite interesting. Because they are items, but they're also not. Like they talk about resonance in the game, and did you did you pick up on this? Because it was quite it was quite hard to understand. But they talk about humans having a resonance, uh, which is which makes them special, and other altered items not <laughs> having this resonance. But there is sorry to just laugh at you. That just sounded hilariously condescending for a moment. Did you pick up on this? Because it's quite hard to understand. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I, I only said that. I did. <laughs> I'm always condescending you in the podcast. I don't mean to. I I said it then. <laughs> God, oh, I'm sorry, man. So the the reason I said it like that is because I don't understand it fully myself. Like you know, when we were talking about launching the rocket in 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 Half Life in Black Mesa. Yeah, I remember it well. And we were both like, oh, yeah, we still don't know why they're launching the rocket. It's kind of like that. Like, I feel like it was something that was mentioned a lot, but I just didn't fully get my head around it. The reason I mentioned it was because of the altered items there's a heavy implication i felt that there was some sense of those objects being alive and them and and certainly the hiss which is your main adversary um in the game and there's a, a massive implication that it is alive and and equal to like the human spirit in some way and equally but kind of less so the uh, the the mold creatures that you fight yeah we should elaborate on the hiss probably mm. so the hiss uh, are your kind of 
villains um i don't fully understand it either but it seems to essentially take people's mind over with this sort of singing chanting almost Mm. like just murmuring it's quite it's quite it's almost like ritualistic isn't it um so you'll walk into a room and you'll see people Mm. suspended in the air and you'll just hear this kind of like murmuring it's not clear what's being said but something's being said type chanting It's really atmospheric, and that's kind of captivating them. And then some of them, I guess, become controlled by the hiss, and for some reason are like assaulting the bureau. So your your main job as director is really to repel the hiss, isn't it? And mm. to t- sort of clear areas out, reclaim these control points, which are kind of I'm not sure what they are, just a little means of fast travel within the game, <laughs> little portals that are in different areas. We'll call them fast travel points from now on. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and you kind of clear those out. And some of them ha- are accompanied by um, a sweet transformation of the room. So, like, the room looks really dark and twisting, like, there's blocks everywhere and there's, like, red lights glowing. And then when you reclaim, when you clear out the hiss and reclaim the portal, the whole room, like, realigns and, like, blocks move back into place and like the roof raises and like just the whole room changes they talk about the control points as sort of holding the oldest house in the position which the agency want it to be held in um and if they lose control of them then the 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 oldest house just starts doing whatever the hell it wants but the like the actual technology which they use to do it is just like hilariously flimsy these kind of like tripods with these discs on which look like really ineffectual radar dishes which aren't even connected to anything with wires (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true actually a lot of the tech in it um is a little bit clunky like that including displays and stuff um by the way just a disclaimer if we sound incoherent and rambly about this game it's because it is quite an incoherent game like it's not something you could quickly summarize in a in a couple of sentences no i was i was worried about or not worried but like i was just wondering in my head about where to start because it's all such a jumble in my head and i've got a few things to say about that like design wise about why i think that might be um, but let's let's carry on talking about the the flow of the game because I think that would be useful for I don't know directing ourselves as much as anything in our conversation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Jesse eventually discovers a kind of the whereabouts of her brother Dylan, who she's been looking for, who mm. was with her at the time of this crazy event happening in her in her history, and he's been like imprisoned by the staff at the bureau because it, they're basically he's like a test subject almost they're like not experimenting but kind of running evaluations on him and that kind of stuff and he Mm -hmm. clearly possesses a load of power and it emerges that he's kind of linked to the hiss and to the mold as well which we haven't talked about so mold is like a variant of the hiss i guess but is literally a mold or a bacteria well the side quest where you're dealing with the mold the the scientist who's in charge of that eradication makes quite a big deal of of her she's like the hiss aren't the only thing that's threatening the bureau you know like nobody thinks about the mold so i thought it was different but i could be wrong yeah i think they're they're definitely different in the way they manifest as enemies because the mold are are these kind of guys who are it's almost like they're sort of fungus all over their face and their like head and stuff and they seem controlled by that kind of like the last of us aren't they yeah actually that's that's really good point yeah they're exactly like in the last of us Another shout out to a great game. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, going back to the Hiss, who are by far your like biggest adversary, they seem to take on the characteristics of the people that they take over. So 
all of the soldiers will be able to use the same weapons and the same tactics as they would have done back when they were humans. And so in the same way, Dylan is kind of the most, he, he was a really powerful sort of supernaturally gifted person himself in real life. But because he's allowed himself or been taken over by the Hiss, he still maintains all of those abilities. But as a, as a Hiss, uh, what the, what's the word I'm, I'm reaching for there? Ho- no, I want to say host. I do. That is the right word. It is the right word. Host is the right word. Yeah. <laughs> He's the host. They're the <laughs> the bug. <laughs> yeah. Well, so there's there are like two other kind of aspects worth mentioning while we're on the kind of story and plot element. Mm. One is the astral plane that exists between all dimensions it seems mm-hmm. they sort of use it as the tutorial world which is like these just really smooth granite cubes that are like growing up everywhere and every time you get a new power you're kind of dropped into the astral plane and like little golden enemies are spawned for you to like practice your powers on but they also <laughs> work it into the game um and it exists in what they call a fire break which is like a sort of gap between physical dimensions Mm. or physical realms i guess so like you'll walk through these huge concrete or not concrete but like black rock doors that you kind of walk out onto this platform and it's i don't know how to describe it but it's just this like black vacuum with bridges in it and that's the fire break and it's to stop like if there's an outbreak of hiss in one of those areas it can't get to one of the other ones or i guess not just hiss any threat really Mm. when you go between those areas it's pretty mad and also that kind of ties with the caretaker or janitor who is this sort of mysterious old finnish man (laughs) yeah he's the first person you meet actually yeah well because it seems like he's the one who sort of brought you here or he's like somehow prompted your arrival and he seems to expect you. You get a definite feeling that, like, actually he's in charge and putting the strings behind the scene, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And it emerges that he's not just the janitor. He's been there, like, as he just arrived at some point or even before, mm. like, the oldest house. And he's, he's just sort of adopted that role. Yeah, the oldest man in the oldest house kind of vibes. Yeah, sort of, again, like the Matrix with the Keymaster. He can access any area at any time. And, yeah, it's really cool. The game also uses him as your sort of deus ex machina at times. So like, oh no, you can't get into an area. Guess you better find the janitor. Maybe he's got the keys kind of thing. Yeah. Admittedly, I guess I'm not really sounding like I'm endorsing the plot massively. But it's extremely compelling, I found anyway. There's an air of mystery around what you're discovering and around the case files. And some of the characters, like there's this doctor called Casper Darling who is amazing like it it really was um reminiscent of the little videos that you find in loss uh, that you find that were in lost of the dharma initiative is it the dharma oh initiative? yeah i was going to bring this up as well the dharma initiative yeah because it reminded me so much of that the way Same. that those videos are recorded and the way you find them in game and stuff playing on screens welcome i'm dr marvin candle and this is the orientation film for station three of the Primal initiative Oh, but that's what's amazing is they don't, sometimes they don't just play on screens. Like they're really built into the environment. So like sometimes they'll be just mm. on a slideshow projector or whatever when you're in a room. But other times you walk into a corridor and they'll be like projected in the light, like somehow in the light, there's these like shadows all yeah, around yeah. you. And it's like on every dimension, no matter where you look, you can see a shadow of this shadow and it's silhouettes. And oh. and then you can pick up the projector um, with your telekinesis and project the film wherever you want 
on the environment. Oh my god, can you? I didn't try that. Yeah, did you never do that? No, I didn't try that. I so should have tried that. Oh, that is that really, is really cool. So cool. But that gives you an idea of the level of detail that they've gone into with the, the graphics and the physics in this game. It's, it's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? Oh, it's absolutely incredible, yeah. Yeah, sorry, go Casper Darnick, because he's, um, he's my favourite character and he he helped me to want to keep playing more than anyone else because just because I wanted to see more of him. And also because it's his journey of discovery as much as yours. So like basically he's mm. a he's a doctor or psychologist or whatever who's kind of investigating these phenomena. It's his like life's work and he's obsessed with it. You see scenes of him kind of having a breakdown over it or like mm. up all hours. Like basically throughout any time of day, you've got a little scene of Casper Darling tearing his hair out as he tries to figure something out or while he's explaining to students and that kind of stuff what's yeah, going on. The students. And so it's his journey of discovery to understand the hiss and understand the oldest house and all of these things we've talked about as much as it is your own. And I love loved that i love i really love that and he's such a great character for it like he's such a well-acted well-constructed mm. persona in fact the only thing i wasn't convinced by with him was that in a couple of scenes you see him topless and the guy is built like he's really yeah, I- and i was like <laughs> wait he's some sort of nerdy dweeb how, how is that fair <laughs> i almost took a picture of that bit to send you he does he looks stacked welcome to the research sector of the federal bureau of control I'm Dr. Casper Darling, head of research. Apparently it's really heavily influenced by uh, this web series called the SCP Foundation. Have you heard of this? Oh, really? I've never heard of that. No, I hadn't either. But all of those altered world events, altered items, objects of power, apparently that's from this SCP standing for Special Containment Procedures, which definitely sounds like control. It makes sense that there is... um a law that was already established around this game because the quantity of law which you find in the game is really, really overwhelming. Like, how did you find... Did you read every case file that you found? I tried to, yeah. It was really time-consuming. One of the downfalls was, to some extent, that even though they give you a lot of information, it doesn't always tie together. So rather than reading and feeling like you're unlocking something that's going to make sense of something else... Often, again, like Lost, you you felt like it was raising more questions or like another kind of interesting thing that you're kind of like, whoa, that's weird, but it was never going to be explained. Mm. I tried to as well, but to be perfectly honest, I only tried to for the sake of the podcast so that I could have an opinion on whether I enjoyed reading them or not. I mostly skim read them. I quite liked the, the more quirky funny little stories about the office staff, maybe like joking around or doing stupid stuff rather than the the kind of heavier like case file ones like this is what happened during this like outbreak or what what's the word they use um but yeah like an outbreak of supernatural um activity yeah like when a portal opened up with that guy while he was on the toilet yeah yeah (laughs) that's wicked though that you got that's awesome that you got so into the law because i felt that as i was playing it i was like "Ah, if i was more invested in this world this would be awesome because you're just like steeped in the place are you generally into that kind of sci-fi, that sort of? I, su- I suppose I'm not, but I've never really thought about it. Like, like, I like things in space and I like things in fantasy settings, but maybe I'm maybe I'm just not super keen on, like, real world. Oh, I don't know, though. Ah, now I'm making it about myself. I want to make it about the game. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's not that. It's just I'm trying to understand because I, I found myself not necessarily compelled to read those things, but I was always more intrigued than 
dismissive when I got to a case file or when I got to a new nugget of information, even if I was kind of like a bit impatient because I'd already just found one and I just wanted to be playing and I was now finding another one that I had to read. There was a bit of me, I'd sort of think, oh, I'm just going to scan it. Mm. And then I'd sort of scan the first two lines and then be drawn in and be like, oh, actually, I do want to hear about this random toaster that nobody can control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, if somebody asked me if I was into sci-fi, I'd definitely say, I would say that I was. But it was... I'll tell you one thing that the game definitely did is that even though it had this like huge quantity of extra material that you could read if you wanted to, it it for me it didn't overstay its welcome. Like after I'd completed it, I thought that was a good pacey game. Didn't take me very long to complete, and I enjoyed it. But yeah, like I said right at the beginning, like it left it left me feeling a little bit cold, and and that was be- I think that was because of the characters in the game. I didn't end up. I don't have to relate to characters, but I have to like have to have a bit of spark or something and apart from casper darling and maybe emily who's kind of his successor um yeah i didn't really get that how about you which which of the characters apart from well, casper, I, I reckon part of the reason for that is that the character so we haven't really talked about the visuals yet and, and we definitely will because that's that's what makes the game distinct mm. but the character models are of everything in the game the character animations are just really wooden. They are, the they voice are. acting from Jesse certainly and from Dylan a bit is like just kind of stilted and and jarring. You know, like in The Witcher when because I, I like The Witcher three, I love The Witcher three, and it got so much character into all of its side quests and made you really care about what was going on. Found me, congratulations. Do I get a prize? I have nothing on me. But I think of something. And one thing it did is it had like cinematic shots, I think anyway, to be totally off on this, of both the the Witcher and whoever they were talking to in like different angles and stuff. So you felt like you were watching a bit of a scene during the dialogue. Mm. And this did the same thing, especially with Jessie's eyes. Like there's so much focus put on her on her eyes, and there'd always be like a close-up shot of her eyes and then what she's what she's thinking as somebody's talking to her. Yeah. But I never felt I never felt like with her in that conversation, like I was like rooting for her or whenever she was like, mm, maybe I should stop finding things in this place weird. I wasn't like, no, oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> You've been here long enough now. And when that happened, yeah. and that happened right She at the is end, quite I... a vacant character. She doesn't seem like she's very high IQ. <laughs> <laughs> hush, hush. I thought... <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? And some I of her little puns. <laughs> oh yes oh you're right about the di- the dialogue in that sense though like lowest common denominator <sighs> i w- there was there was one i i noticed which i thought was so funny oh that was it one of the first bosses you fight um is the old head of communications tomasi and you ma- uh, later on you managed to go back and, and finish him off like after you've completed the game which i thought was a nice touch and i did that extra bit just because i felt invested in that story but after i'd killed him jesse said I guess we need to look for a new director of communications. And I was like, you kidding me? You didn't just make that quip. (laughs) Yeah, those are the kind of quips she makes all the time and they are really bad. One of them recently when I walked into a toilet and it's like, fallen away into a, into kind of a different dimension it's like there's bits floating everywhere and she's like huh, somebody needs to call a plumber yeah no. and then she's like glad nobody's here to hear that yeah some of the some of the jokes are, are really bad but no, nobody um, could pull off the, her dialogue I'd, well maybe i don't know 
I found it an immersive world in other ways. Yeah, I agree. The character animations are like, you meet a new character and you almost can't tell if they're for real or if they're being sarcastic mm. because their their mannerisms... Like, there's one guy... The guy who runs the Panopticon, in fact. I think he is meant to be a dry character. But even so, it shows him in a wide-angle shot often. And he's doing that thing where he's, like, not really moving, but then his hand waves every now and again. Like, the sort of rock star <laughs> problem of GTA. <laughs> you see what I mean? Um, like... <laughs> And, and some of what he's saying sounds like it ought to have a lot of emotion in it, the actual words, but the delivery doesn't really have that emotion yeah. and neither does the character. Um, and so the whole thing, I think that's why it feels cold, those, those parts. And also the aesthetic in terms of like you're in a really bureaucratic, mm -hmm. you're in the middle of like it cuts. Or, there are times in the game when you're basically it's running as a normal workplace and you're kind of the intern. I'm not even going to make an effort to explain how that happens. But uh, yeah, you're like collecting mugs and using a photocopier and that kind of stuff. And it feels like that sort of environment at times, like this is a big office mm. and that's quite a cold place to be exploring. Yeah, that was a really interesting thing that it did though, I thought, which was that you're in a, a bureaucratic environment where there are rules and regulations which everyone has to follow. But the things which you're dealing with are either you don't understand them or like Casper Darling always says in his videos. We can talk in broad strokes, keeping in mind most information on the astral plane is, is classified. classified. The reason is it's classified. <laughs> yeah. So it's, but like you still have to follow all the regulations and do all the boring shit that you need to do in, off, in, in an office, like the photocopying, collecting the, um, the coffee mugs. So I thought that was quite a cool um, contrast that it played with. Yeah. There's a lot to do with sort of classified and things being beyond your clearance and stuff. In fact, like, so the whole map exists from the beginning in theory, but a lot of the areas are shut off by locked doors, which you require, you know, you have to reach a certain level clearance to get cards. Which is hilarious in the first place. Like, that's so gamey because you're the director and you are in charge. <laughs> you're just allowing people to give you, like, access cards piecemeal. I didn't mind that. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. A funny way of gating. It's one of those things that in a film or a book, you'd be like, this is problematic. But in a game, you just roll with it. <laughs> I felt like they were on the edge of making a joke out of it. Did you not feel that? Because there were a couple of times when you got given access cards and I was like, come on, this is tongue in cheek. Like, well, you had an access card this whole time. It, that was it. I think, doesn't Dylan give you an access card at one point? Yeah, he does. He's like the prisoner. <laughs> He does. The guy that's meant to be in prison by the place gives you an access card. And he has one of the highest clearance access cards. And yeah. he's level six, isn't it? They must have been taking the piss with that. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the prime candidate program in the containment sector. I have the key card to get you there. The other thing is how the areas themselves are given these really bland names, which I think is probably another way that it feels a bit cold. All of which is to say that I think this is intentional. This is deliberate. Like it's not meant to be a warm and fuzzy environment to play a game in. No. You're meant to feel out of your comfort zone, at least in terms of like understanding what's going on. And so the, the places in the game are called like the foundry, the foundation, the pit. The ordinary. Central research. Yeah, central research. Marketing. Mm. Like, the, these these kind of names. Which, by the way, while we're on that, why is it... When did it become a thing in sci-fi and fantasy and stuff to just turn nouns into proper nouns by putting a capital on it? Like, the pit. Like, that's just a pit. It doesn't need to be called the pit with a capital. And, like, there's, there's wasn't that so the name much... Of the, um, wasn't that the name of a, a map in Halo 3? <laughs> Oh, it was incredible math as well. I love that bloody math. 
the invisibility corridor taking you off topic no no but i'm just saying like the foundry the bureau Mm -hmm. everything in this game even even the town she's from the ordinary yeah yeah so lazy to do that that's what organizations do like um like i'm living with someone who works in a charity at the moment and it's like they're speaking a different language when they're talking to each other on the phone every day it's all acronyms it's all proper nouns and you're like this isn't english this is just a set of words which you've made up within your sector to talk to one another and it's and it's the same in other jobs i've done as well so i think i don't know it's, it's realistic if not um desirable i don't mean the jargon though so much as so much as just generic words that are capitalized to sound more authoritative uh, okay sorry i misunderstood i'm being inarticulate don't worry about it <laughs> Right, because we've been sounding a bit negative, let's talk about the goddamn visuals. Because I actually, I don't want to be drawn into your negativity because I love this game. <laughs> I, you, you won me over. Like, I, I'm feeling way more positive than I did about the game when I was playing. <laughs> oh, we're balancing each other then because I feel the opposite. I feel like I've focused on all of the things that didn't really work as well. Go on, then. Whereas, like, I would say the key factor that I would encourage everyone to play this game is the visuals. Mm. The environment itself... The fact that it's this cold office setting that we talked about, what they've done with it is insane. Like, there there are moments where I've talked about kind of the walls realigning and this kind of stuff, but that just doesn't do it justice. Like, the whole of laws of physics are changed in some rooms. Like, you walk in and, like, one of the rooms is just skewed and you kind of walk along it and it's getting smaller and smaller and, like, and leaning to the side and it's all at a weird angle. Alice in Wonderland style. Yeah, and nothing really fits. Then there's... Oh, like, I can't even explain, like, just even the astral plane and stuff and the cuboid look and the vastness of Firebreak, when you walk in there and you can just see bridges in every direction, like, really distant, but they're all just surrounded by this blackness, or there's, or like, we, we should have a whole bloody section on the ashtray maze scene mm. at the end, so there's a... Yeah, there's that a, was my favourite bit. There's a bit in the game, which I should say spoiler, probably. Yes, we're about because, to do spoilers now. Yeah, yeah because this is a big moment. Initially, you find the ashtray maze, and it's just this kind of... It's, a, again, the sort of motel lobby vibe, or corridors and stuff like that. In fact, I heard the game designer saying it was inspired by the movie Barton Fink, and there's, like, a level of symmetry to it, mm. this sort of slightly dingy place. This is Barton Fink in room 621. Yes. There's a... There's someone in the room next door to mine, 623. Anyway, you're walking along a corridor, and just, like the wall just sort of folds out of itself Mm. or in on itself and creates a new space. So you walk through that and then another wall kind of collapses inwards or folds outwards and you can walk through that and suddenly you find yourself back at the beginning. And like initially it's quite frustrating and then eventually you come back to it later in the game after the janitor's given you your little like, oh, I know how to get through this with these headphones. And you put them on and this like hard rock music starts playing. I don't even like hard rock, but at moments like this, man alive, it kicks the game up a notch. And then she walks into the maze, and it's like, honestly, it's like the whole world is this uh, giant sort of origami paper yeah, construct. Exactly. And it's just folding everywhere, and things are moving constantly. It's like incredible. And you're battling enemies, and the the forward momentum throughout that scene, like it, it like it feels like you've you traveled like a really long distance as this thing is like changing and shaping around you but you know um from what the ashtray maze is that you're only in one place like before you were going around in a circle but now the circle is like changing in front of you yeah it's, it's cool yeah 
It's really cool. The walls are folding in on themselves, like in Inception. You know, in it's, Inception, it's really when they're like, Inception and the city like, right. tilts like that. Like all the, wheel, mm -hmm. all the walls are tilting. At one point, the whole world rotates, and you go from being on the floor to being on a, a wall and then like the windows start opening and there's like holes through the floor and you drop down through the floor and like the whole yeah, thing yeah. is just constantly evolving. It's really cinematic and you're battling enemies the whole time and you've got this music blaring. And as, as you come out of it, um, Jesse just says, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which, which puts a dampener on the whole thing. It's shame she said that because it's like, we're all thinking that we really didn't need her to say it. <laughs> uh, but yeah no that scene was that scene was wicked i still feel like even after just going on about how good it was i haven't done it justice like you've got to play, like no, but it's hard or, to, if you're um, never going to play the game watch someone play that scene through on youtube because that is incredible yeah yeah for, for a game where one of its main draws is the is, is how it looks it's always going to be difficult to get that across on a podcast i feel like yeah like, a, like another thing to say is just the amount of objects there are that you can pick up and crash around and destroy in the game like everything that isn't nailed to the wall in fact most things that are nailed to the wall you can still get get off the wall and chunks of the wall itself <laughs> and, ch and chunks of the wall and like i don't know like an example of the detail is that there might be like a standard office chair but then you pick it up and it like the top of the chair detaches from the bottom rolling piece and then those two things become two objects like the amount of thing the amount of thing ways in which things can break apart in the game is like insane yeah there's another um sequence in psychology research i think it's called where that you you enter into a mirror dimension one of the altered items is a mirror and it's been like playing silly buggers in some way and so it's been like locked down and you unlock it so that you can go into the mirror to find something and you enter the mirror world and everything is flipped horizontally and so the whole room that you just left is the exact same room but everything the other way around <laughs> not cool. just physically but like the words are backwards like the posters are in a different place even the passcodes which are symbols rather than words mm -hmm. so when you find a passcode you have to remember that when you go back to the real dimension you have to flip it again which is i loved all that stuff i felt like in that way when i said at the beginning of, of this podcast ah, oh, it's it like pushes boundaries this is what i meant it was like they didn't have any limits on their creativity visually mm. Other games I feel like might have talked about doing this kind of thing and been like, oh, just that's a bit impractical. Like, we haven't got that. We can't, like, put all that together. Whereas this game feels like a AAA blockbuster title that you would see in the cinema, mm. I think, at times. But, but, and like, yeah, you're right. It did feel like there was no limitations on what they could do. But at the same time, as that being the case, they also made it seem like a, a consistent place, a very, very confusing place. But still, you knew where you were. You just you knew that anything could happen there yeah i think it draw, does draw influences from loads of places as well so it's not entirely i'm not saying it's all original and it's it's the, it's more just that they've actually done it like one of the comparisons i was thinking <laughs> of while i was playing it this makes me sound like such a pretentious twat <laughs> um but one of the things i was thinking of while playing it was that have you seen that artwork by um of the staircases where the staircases kind of never end like the one staircase goes down the escher one yeah yeah exactly the escher um mc escher isn't he? he's a dutch guy mm -hmm. yeah he did i think it's called relativity where the staircase never ends and then he's got another one with like a waterfall that's constantly running down and mm -hmm. it kind of somehow doubles back on itself and carries on running down mm -hmm. the visuals of this game were so like that mm -hmm. like sometimes you'd enter a room and there was never any end to the room and... i agree with all of that um 
I loved how it looked. But then I never felt like I knew the place very well because whenever I needed to get somewhere, I went to the fast travel point and went to the took the quickest route possible, which usually missed out a whole chunk of this beautiful world which they've made. Mm, don't nah, wasn't fussed by it because you spend so much time initially, like you, you have to initially explore the world in order to unlock. Only the once com- though, and once isn't enough to learn a place, especially a place as confusing as the oldest house. I wanted to know it well. Like I wanted the game to have taught me where everything is so that when they asked me to go somewhere, I could be like, oh yeah, that's there. And I could visualize it in my mind. But instead I was looking at a, a, a frankly poorly designed map, which was still- Oh yeah, the map was horrific. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll grant you that. That was, that was a real bloody pain. The amount of time I spent studying that, trying to figure out which direction to go in. <laughs> Like, I wanted to feel like I was journeying through the place more, more than I actually did. Maybe I'm being a, a, a bit too critical there because it was an awesome place. I just wanted to maybe, like, have a sense of it a bit more by the end. But maybe that's the whole point is that it is like it's ever-changing and ever-shifting place and you're meant to be confused and off-balance. So, and also, yeah. like, the game focused so much on discovery, like, the experience of finding something for the first time. Like, the first time that you can levitate and the mm. room is this weird sort of tunnel that's this angular polygonal tunnel and you're sort of floating along it and you can go like there are things on all different sides it's like a room but with instead of having four walls and a ceiling and a floor or whatever it's got like 12 rules <laughs> walls and none of them are the floor or the ceiling they're all just different stuff mm. um, and you're kind of floating down the center of that the first time that happens you're like wow this is amazing but then if you just went back there, you'd be like, oh yeah, I've seen this before. I feel like the reason it doesn't matter so much that you're fast traveling about is because you've always got the experience of revelation once in each place. Yeah, that is fair. Um, it wows you again and again with with spectacle, but then it doesn't need you to come back and see it again because seeing it for the first time is the important thing. Yeah, that, that is fair. I hadn't really thought about that. I know we talked a lot about the the detail anyway but there's other levels of detail like the um threshold kids the threshold which is like a tv show yeah. where um, i don't where... know how they justify that within the story like who's who's making this show it's it's a really creepy like um children's show made with like these grotesque puppets like one guy's a skeleton with a baby's mask on his head it's sort of to teach people it's to teach children about the dangers of things that are going on in the Bureau. But obviously no children are ever going to watch it. And it would be weird if it was actual training for the staff. So like, what is this? Yeah, it is very uncomfortable so to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's really freaky. Yeah, and America Overnight is another one, which is like this sort of like radio program mm. that you sometimes hear on in the background. And it's this really cheesy sort of American outback call-in late night show type thing. I don't know how to describe but it. But America Overnight, is that not a, is that a public one or is that a bureau-specific like radio show? Oh, I think it's, it's public, isn't it? Because they have callers ringing up with conspiracy theories mm. and stuff. And I think the bureau are just listening to it because it might draw their attention to altered world events, basically, and stuff like that. Uh, I see. Okay. Whereas the Threshold Kids, like, that wasn't being aired on, on primetime. Like, <laughs> I don't think so. No, that wasn't on primetime. <laughs> Oh, not prime man. time what what do i mean BBC, CB, cbbc <laughs> yeah cbbc god forbid where i agree with you i think in terms of like 
the limitations of what it offers is that probably because they focus so much on the visuals and the aesthetic and really creating these marvels <laughs> these spectacles mm. can't do that enough justice as a result of that the other elements of the game are so gamified like i thought you definitely wouldn't like that you've already mentioned the fast travel but it's not just that it's like you said with the shape-shifting gun great concept except for all the guns are basically generic guns shotgun machine gun whatever or you've got like they call this thing source that like this these little blue dots that sort of fall into the world when you kill the hiss but really that's just like xp that you then mm. spend on upgrades yeah and and you collect resources um from from enemies in a really standard way to upgrade your things or make new weapon modifications or personal modifications to change your stats or upgrade or um improve your abilities but what i wanted to ask you is can you remember the names of any of the resources that you click that you collect sorry shifting fragment did you just read that off your notes <laughs> i promise you i didn't in that instance but having said that i did make a list of what they were in advance of this show so it could still just be fresh there now but yeah i know what you mean there are tons of them they've all got random names sorry i was i was queuing you up to finish your tirade against them <laughs> yeah I, I won't make it into a tirade because it's just you know it's just it's just video games isn't it but i love upgrade mechanics like i love crafting and like making things in games like it's all cool but like when it's felt like it's done with love whereas this was just done as a tick box exercise like oh yeah we've got to have <laughs> i remember, remember matt lee says this thing about old games all having cherries in and he's like Oh, yeah, no, you've got to put the cherries in the games. Like, it felt like that now. I do know what you mean. Yeah, that's true. And another thing was that they have these mini challenges called board countermeasures, which are like the board as in referencing their like board of directors, but the countermeasures that they have in place, which is a cool way to build it into the game. But what it really boils down to is like mini challenges. Like, can you kill this many enemies in this zone using just this weapon? Yeah. yeah <laughs> and when yeah. you do, you unlock a free mod kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, by the way, like if these things felt necessary, like, if you were compelled to do them because they were fun, that'd be a good reason. If you needed to do them to get stronger, a slightly less good reason, but still a reason. Neither of those things were true. So it was just an extra thing that you could do, which wasn't fun if you wanted to do it. <laughs> yeah, you're so you're so right. The only time I completed a board countermeasure was if I happened to be in the area and like I did it almost by accident <laughs> and it was the one I'd selected to do. Because you can only you can only do three at a time. So even though there are quite a lot of challenges running, you can only be completing three at a time. I mean, I agree with you on that 100%. Um, there was another thing that was super gamified, which is... Oh, dying. When you die, you lose 10% of your source. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you, you die and you resurrect back at your nearest control point, which, you know, that's pretty standard gaming fare. But you lose 10% of your source, which, like I said, is basically your XP. Which feels really punitive because it's actually, I think it takes a fair old while to unlock the upgrades. It's not like you're burning through upgrades every time you get to a control point, I didn't think anyway. And like you said the game, actually I was going to pick you up on this. You said the game was easy at the beginning or felt like it didn't have a level of difficulty. Some of the boss battles I actually thought were pretty tough. The one where you, in the mold where you fight, I still didn't complete that that boss i just gave up i was like i can't be bothered with this this like weird tentacle thing this has become becoming a habit of me now isn't it i, I literally did it the first time about an hour before we recorded the pod <laughs> really yeah 
Oh, but that sounds like then, because you'd finished the game. Yeah, I had So if you did it game. first time, then you went to it at the end of the game when you were like fully powered Yeah, up. that's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, that's different. I was confronting it at like fairly early stage of the game, didn't have any help upgrades and stuff like that. Mm. And I was like, this is brutal. And same with Tomasi, actually. Like you mentioned killing Tomasi. I killed him the first time, obviously, but when he kind of reappears at the end, I gave it a shot and then was like, oh, can't really be bothered. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I did him first time as well. <laughs> Guys, that looks such a dick. So just to, just to, it's all that practice to, on fucking Dark Souls and Sekiro. <laughs> just to balance it off, the one that gave me trouble, which I knew was... Uh, uh, you probably did this one first time, was the anchor. Was the what? The anchor. It's the one which makes all those clocks. Oh, yeah, the clock room. I love the clock room. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't really remember the boss, if I'm honest. Oh, yeah, no, I can, actually, yeah. It's because it doesn't make any sense. Like, usually the old items kind of, like, represent the item in a slight way. But this one is an anchor. Mm. Okay. The sea, ships, nautical theme. Spits out clocks. Huh? I don't, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now you lost me. And then, and then when it changes into its sort of, like, boss form... It's not even an anchor. It's just a giant mouth <laughs> that spits out clocks. Yeah, that's true. I think that was just an excuse for them to uh, for them to basically have an ele- a sort of area within the game where there are just tens of thousands which was of really, clocks. Which was really cool. <laughs> it looked incredible, yeah. yeah. It makes a change from like tens of thousands of bodies. Usually in the, those kind of films, you're... you're uh, films? That's that's how I feel about it. Uh, in those kind yeah, of yeah, and we didn't even mention they they're using real actors in the film. I don't think we've said that once. Oh uh, yeah, well in the cutscenes. I mean, to be fair, the games these days are almost always using real actors. Mm, right? But I've never seen a. I don't think I've ever seen a game which is integrated as well as this. Maybe maybe there, there are loads now, but I definitely haven't. Like when you yeah. watch real actors playing on a TV in a game world, you'd think that would be jarring. But because of how impressive it looks, it's just feels yeah. fine. No, that that's true. Oh man, you've got me thinking about Casper Darling again. Yeah. And one of the videos, one of the, one of the great moments in it, um, which really made me laugh out loud, was you discover this like video he recorded of like a music video. Yeah. Did you did you find that? Yeah, no, I found it. I watched it back before the pod as well to remind myself. Of I it. watched it so many times. That hundred percent, the audio for that is going this <laughs> podcast. Dynamite. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's singing it about you as the director. Yeah, yeah. Like they wrote that song specifically for this game. Yeah. That's one thing I was going to mention, actually, while we're on... Because uh, in that music video, he addresses you, like... Jesse is Dan and Mike... But then there are also pictures of you around the... that are all up in the office. Did you notice the pictures of Jesse up on the walls? Yeah, yeah. What's the story with that? Yeah, not sure. I think it must be one of the weird things with the oldest house where, like, it knows who the, di- who the director is and, like, adjusts the portraits accordingly. I guess a bit like in Harry ah, Potter when yeah. the sitting headmaster appears in different portraits. That would make sense. And historic headmaster. So it's, it's not like they've always been there. It's like you're the director now, so that you got your picture up. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Weirder than that was there's a moment in one of the videos where I'm pretty sure Jesse is one of the like interns or scientists or something like that. Did you see that? No, I don't remember this bit. 
it could have just been someone who looked really similar to be fair because I think you only see like side of their face and stuff but I was like wait is that Jesse and I mean that's the kind of thing that this game does by the way like it wouldn't put it I wouldn't put it past the game for that to have been Jesse and for it to just make no effort to explain why it would be or like like that that it's so like lost in that regard and I felt the climax of the game was a real disappointment for that reason again much like last (laughs) because you got to you got to the end and you didn't feel like you really understood everything. And, and actually, Jessie's reveal to herself, like, it's almost like the end of the game is her realising she is the director of this building. And I'm like, yeah, you've been the director since you arrived. Like, get over it. Um, that That's like the full extent of the reveal. Yeah, yeah. It's good for us to come to this towards the end of the, the podcast as well, because one of the main tensions for your character um, is is between almost like falling in love with the play like, like she hates the federal bureau of control because they took her brother away but one of the main character arcs in it is that she's kind of falling in love with the place as she's traveling through it wanting to hate it because they took her brother and then yeah as you say by the end of the game she is the bureau and embraces it wholeheartedly yeah 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 totally but again but that wasn't like sad you didn't feel like uh, What's the, what's the word I'm thinking? Do you know what? I think it's faux profound. It's faux like profound. trying to be profound, but it just isn't. Like there's this Shawshank Redemption reference that they make. The poster, yeah. Yeah, when they first said it, I was like, is that reference to Shawshank sure, Redemption? Yeah. Later on, they concretely affirm that it is. As if everyone didn't already know that. It's like, <laughs> you've taken the whole game to remember a film which everyone remembered straight away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she delivers all her lines in this kind of manner that like, yeah, I just realized this incredible thing. So she's like, the poster comes down and there's nothing there, just the cell and death. And you're like, wait, uh, what? <laughs> it just doesn't, there's no real... But it's, but, but that... I mean, that's how it feels when you finish the game. Like you've been waiting for the reveal of the tunnel behind the poster and there isn't a tunnel behind the poster. But... Just a cell and death. But then, But then you've got how like how tongue-in-cheek it's being quite often and how how quirky and funny like most obviously with Casper Darling and with the fake credit sequence as well ah uh, yeah I, I've got to say I love that I love a fake credit sequence <laughs> really <laughs> have you seen that before really does it for me yeah I've seen it in films but I don't think I've seen it in games I won't maybe I don't want to say it just because I don't it's, it would be harsh to like spoil other games here and I mean if you're talking about fake credit sequences you've already said a massive spoiler haven't you like you can't not say the name of the game and that thing that it has without spoiling it. Yeah. What's what's kind of funny about this one is that they really double down on it. Like it goes for a fair while. I genuinely thought it was a really abrupt ending when it first happened. Yeah, me too. I was like, what the I hell? was like, that's a shit ending. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly my reaction. I was like, you're seriously kidding me. It's just going to end. And then, yeah. Yeah. I felt like there were lots of parts for female characters in the game. I thought that was really cool and done in a really natural way. But just unfortunately, I didn't love any of the characters. <laughs> but like you've got, obviously, you've got the main protagonist, but then you've also got um, Emily, who's who ends up being a chief scientist. So you've got Helen Marshall, who's your like head soldier, basically, that mold scientist. Like there are, there are loads of like strong female characters in it. But yeah, unfortunately, I just didn't like any of the characters. So. I think it's it's definitely a point worth making. But at the same time, I just think the fact that... We took it, it for was, granted. 
that it was normal. We all, we noticed. Actually, I didn't really notice it, which I kind of like more. Like, I didn't think to myself, oh, there's lots of strong female characters here. I just enjoyed the game and there were strong female characters in it. And that's like how it should be. Like, I don't want it to be like a stamp of like, hey, everybody notice this every time we see female empowerment in a game kind of thing. Yeah. But the problem is when you don't like those female leads, you end up just sounding like a, sounding like the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, you are a massive chauvinist, Taya. Everybody knows it. <laughs> well, like, you know, I do my best not to be. But like, it, it like... <laughs> I do my best. Pause. Not to me. But like, if you like, if you get a game like that, and then like, don't mention that, but then hate on the female characters, it sounds like you're hating on them because you're a man. Even though I don't believe either of us are doing that. That is definitely what. I I don't think it sounds like that. I think that's cool. Hopefully, we were unnecessary anxiety. I definitely don't think anyone will suspect you didn't like the game because the characters were female. (laughs) That would be so ridiculous. Nobody ever dislikes a game for that reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. No, that would be a bad take, but, you know, it could come across like that. That's what I'm saying. I wonder whether some of the gamey elements to the game are... um, Because I I kind of am with you in general. When a game feels too like it's falling into tropes of a genre, it's like, yeah, I've seen and done this all before. But some of them are weirdly compulsive. And I guess that's why they put them in. Like, unlockable suits. I love that... You, that you could unlock a, a suit for Jessie and then change her appearance while she's... Did you do any of that? I actually didn't. Uh, right at the end, your clothes change to smart ones. And then I had a look at all my outfits and I had a couple. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do usually find outfits compelling for sure. Yeah, and I don't know why that should be. I guess just because it changes things up a little bit. Maybe we should really be playing The Sims. <laughs> but I mean, those are, I guess that's why those those kind of things crop up over and over in games because oh yeah people like me and you say we don't like them and diss them as being gamified oh, but then when they're actually in a game we're suckers for them yeah, yeah don't get me wrong like i'm glad you've reminded me of this i almost want to be saved from myself though because you're collecting you're collecting these resources that you don't care about for weapon upgrades which you don't need but still i will hoover every single room and like find every single find and open every single box the box opening animation is quite satisfying but i'm opening it and finding it in the full knowledge that i don't need it and i don't care about it oh yeah it's funny i'm guessing you didn't spend any time in the altered item of the jukebox which is like basically there's you get these little tokens you put it in the jukebox it opens a key to another dimension or whatever you go there it's I'm not really clear where it is, like a quarry or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, the foundation, they call it, but I don't know. Well, the foundation is... Um, so here, here's, here's a, here's a late, late unexpected reveal. Uh, I actually bought the expansion for oh, the first wow. time. I've, ne- I've never subscribed to a season pass before. Not to my knowledge, anyway. That sounds like someone else might have done it on my behalf. What I mean is, I can't remember <laughs> well, you if I have. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember if I bought a season pass before. I don't think I have. But when I finished this game, I was just so tempted to see what else they had in store. Like, I just wanted to know whether they had, they were able to deliver any more of those kind of incredible spectacles. Oh, cool. But I also had a little bit of fatigue because I, I got it, installed it, played for like 10 minutes. And I was like, oh, I feel like I've done this quite a lot. Actually, I'll come back to it at a later date. <laughs> to be fair, like after I completed the game, it wasn't like that's done. I did go back and do some of the side quests because I thought oh, I want to I do want to clear out the mold from the basement. I do want to have Tomasi's head on a spike. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm not totally uninvested in this world. I just felt like there was something something missing for me. 
do you feel like you've been more honest about this one than, for instance, Walson, yeah. which I know you were doing your utmost yeah, that's because... to sound positive about when you really didn't like it? It's for everyone else. Like, I tried, I, uh, I'll just say it. I hated that game. <laughs> I thought it was so boring. And and afterwards, when we'd stopped recording, I was really honest with Ben. I was like, oh, yeah, man, God, I really forced myself to be positive about that game. It was so boring. And he was like, oh, have you still got all that? Have you stopped recording? I was like, no, I stopped recording. He was like, never stop recording. That's great stuff. I'm going to put that in. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I want you to be authentic. I want you to say how you feel. I don't want you to feel like you have to be positive just because I liked something or, or vice versa. Mm. And like in general, I don't think we are like that. And screw the listeners who get tired of hearing people rail on games. <laughs> like, if I don't like a game, I'm going to tell you. But it's good to be it's good <laughs> to be reflective. So, like, I think it's good not to approach things with too much of a negative mindset, for sure. Which I had to kind of slightly. But you, you've won me over to it. Like, I, I'm buoyed by your enthusiasm towards the game, for sure. That's good. I am advocating you play this game. <laughs> Tao isn't, though. Yeah, no, no. Uh, well, yeah, no. I can't wholeheartedly <laughs> recommend it, for sure. You're on the fence. I am. You've got your bum on a post. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I can't quite put my finger on what it is, though, because, like, it's the world is so much more detailed than the last game we talked about, Outer Worlds. But just for some reason, it's just something, something missing there. The tension is that it presents itself as a mystery game, which it is. But when you're playing a mystery game, you expect for a mystery to have a solution. Then you feel disappointed when actually you're just given mystery upon mystery upon mystery. <laughs> and there is no sense of resolution, really. Yeah, a bit lore dumpy, maybe. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah, you could find out this about the world, this about the world, this about the world. That is a good way of phrasing it, as a lore dump. Is that an official term? Or yeah, 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 that's, a, that's an official term. Oh, it's good. I like it. Very visual. <laughs> Somebody call a plumber. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> all right. That's, uh, that's control, I reckon. Nice. Do you want to say what we're playing next? Greedful. We are playing an RPG. Don't know much about it, actually, beyond the fact it's an RPG. It's called Greedful. Mm. And we That's and we it. haven't we haven't covered a, a t- it's a, another terrible name by the way. At least it doesn't have a colon. At least it doesn't have a colon. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm really excited about it. I I read the review out when it came when it came out, uh, and I remember being interested at the time. But I don't know anything else about it other than my takeaway was. That's a game I'll play one day. Yeah. I think we're both just intrigued about the fact that it's kind of a new property and potentially mm, God's Go. Yeah. And it's from, an, is it from a new studio as well? Spider or Spiders, they're called, yeah. I think maybe it's their second game, but don't quote me on that. Right. I'll put it in the clarifications in the show notes. Okay, cool. And it's, um, it seems like it will be a traditional third person RPG, right? Which we hadn't done one of before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah closest we came to was Disco Elysium, which was not at all in no way yeah in any way whereas this is going to have all the bells and trappings like it'll take us 40 hours i've still got 10 days till i start my new job let's get it done (laughs) (laughs) so 10 of those 10 games will be spent gaming yeah i like it (laughs) and then you can put on your hypnospace device and carry on in your sleep (laughs) yeah all right, cool. Oh, cool. Well, good speaking with you. Yeah, nice. Play control, everyone. She's a dynamite. <laughs> <laughs>
that video with he's such a good actor whoever Casper Dali is honestly when he shakes his little bum in that music video <laughs> crap yeah it's brilliant I want to find out what films he's been in yeah he's kind of like almost Sam Rockwell like can you imagine if that that little game well not little game but that game makes his career and he becomes really mainstream people who've never even heard of it. up until now he's been advertising Hovis but now <laughs> 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 